I hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke. Chapter 17. And we will be looking together at verses 11 to 19. Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. This week of Thanksgiving, as we anticipate Thursday and a day when many will be giving thanks, we need to look at this passage to be reminded of why it is so right and reasonable, so obviously right and reasonable for us to give thanks to God for all of his kindness and goodness to us. At the same time, these verses show us why true thanksgiving is so obviously rare. They show us why it's right and reasonable, but also why True, genuine thanksgiving is so rare in this world. And it comes down to this. Many will be thankful for something this week. Many will be thankful for something, and that's good and right. But far fewer will be thankful to someone this week. And true thanksgiving involves both. We're thankful for things, thankful for people, but who's the giver of those things? To whom are you thankful? That's the question. We typically start with, what are you thankful for? But the more fundamental question is, who are you thankful to today? And this passage, an incident that took place during Jesus' earthly ministry, shows us exactly who we should be thankful to. So let's read together, beginning at verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
So we have Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, passing between two different regions, two very different regions, Galilee and Samaria. Galilee, as you probably know, is where Jesus was raised in a village called Nazareth. This is where he's from. These are his people. But in order to make his way to Jerusalem, he needs to pass through Samaria. And while the people in Galilee would have been considered, on the whole, faithful Jews by the Jewish people in Jerusalem and Judea, the people in Samaria were not seen that way. The people in Samaria, because they had been conquered generations ago by other nations and intermarried with those nations, they were seen as a watered-down version of Judaism. They had their own temple and performed their own acts of worship there. And most people in the region of Judea, and including the region of Galilee, would have looked down upon the Samaritans as a, a kind of cult. They're the remnants of the true religion and the true Mosaic law, but it's been watered down, it's confused, it's distorted. We need to avoid them. They're corrupt and impure, and their worship is impure. So here's Jesus making his way in between these regions, and as he approaches a village, there are ten men with leprosy there. And this word leprosy can describe a variety of skin diseases of this time. But what they had in common is that this meant you needed to be quarantined from the rest of the population, both for reasons of ritual purity and for hygiene reasons. They saw that this is viciously contagious and you need to stay away. And the only way that you could rejoin society is if you're healed and you can go prove that to a priest. You can have a priest say, yes, this man, this woman has been healed. They are eligible to rejoin society. They can participate in temple worship. They're ritually clean and they're healthy. That's who Jesus encounters here. These are men who have not received such a certificate. They are ostracized. They are marginalized. They're left out. But they've heard about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They know his name. They know him by sight. Maybe they've heard of his wonder-working miracle power. And so they call out, Jesus, Master, Master. This is a step beyond rabbi. Many people recognize Jesus as a teacher during his earthly ministry. But far fewer confess his power. Master, Master, Jesus, have pity on us. Have mercy. See our plight. See how desperate we are. Act as only you can. Exercise your power on our behalf. In response, Jesus tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't say you're healed. He just says, go to the priest. 
And what do they do? They go. They take him at his word. Okay, we'll, we'll go to the priest. If the master says go, we'll go. And on their way, they're cleansed. The skin disease is gone. Miraculously gone. So nine make their way to the priests to get their certificate, to make sure they can rejoin society and go about living a normal life again. But one of them, seeing the disease gone from his skin, goes back. He has someone he needs to visit before he goes to the priest. He goes straight back to Jesus. And he throws himself down before Jesus and and he praises God. Notice how God and Jesus are being put in such close proximity, showing that as he's praising Jesus and worshiping at Jesus' feet, he's praising God because Jesus is God. He thanks him. And he's a Samaritan, of all things. A Samaritan realizes what's been done for him. And in response, Jesus asks three rhetorical questions. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to thank God for what has been done for them except a Samaritan, a foreigner? And what Jesus is drawing out here with these rhetorical questions, of course, he knows exactly where the other nine are. They're not there. But what he's drawing out and enabling us to see is how obviously right and reasonable it is to give thanks. If someone cleanses you of a disease, if you've received this kind of healing, how could you not go back and say thanks? How could you not take the trouble to write a thank you note? But they don't. They don't. Nine don't. And thus it is, even now. Has the Lord been good to more people than are assembled here in this sanctuary? Of course he has. But where are they? Just compare how many people are gathered this Lord's day among the Lord's people, worshiping the Lord, hearing his word proclaimed. Just think about how many that is. And then consider how many are not. Where are they? Where are they? Weren't they cleansed too? Did they not receive good and perfect gifts from the giver of every good and perfect gift? Of course they have. The Lord has been good to them no matter who you are no matter what your circumstances are, if you are alive, you have something for which to be thankful. You have a reason to go back to Jesus and praise him for what's been done for you. Do you have a job? Do you have a source of income? Do you have family? Any family? Do you have a friend? 
Is there genuine love in your life? Do you have enough to eat? Do you have enough clothing as the weather turns colder? Do you have entertainment? Do you have any toys that you can enjoy to keep yourself occupied? Of course. And those of us here have these things in abundance. We are beyond blessed. No, we don't have everything we want. And, and yes, we struggle with the things we don't have. We struggle with loss. But we are so blessed. He's been so good to us. And he's been good to so many beyond this number. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives life and breath and all manner of good things to people who do not acknowledge him. So where are they? Where are they? Well, lest we get prideful and think, well, I'm here. I'm ready to say thank you. Let's consider some reasons why true thanksgiving is so rare. Even when people show up hoping to give thanks, recognizing the source of every good and perfect gift. Even here, you can gather here in the name of Jesus. You can sing the praises of God. You can follow along in the word of God and still fail to give thanks. How can this be? When it's so obviously right and reasonable to give thanks. Here are some reasons it's so rare. First is our own forgetfulness. Our own forgetfulness gets in the way of true thanksgiving. For nine of these men, once the skin disease is gone, never mind the master, never mind the master, oh, when they had the disease, Jesus, please have, have pity on us, have mercy, please. But as soon as they're healed, they forget all about Jesus. Now it's time to get that certificate so we can live a normal life. So also with us, when we're desperate, when we're in need, Jesus, please hear me now. But what about after he answers? What about when he provides? Do you remember? And it, it's not enough to remember once a year. We need to cultivate daily thanksgiving because his mercies are new each and every day. He provides for us day in and day out. He is good to us, whether we acknowledge him or not. Is forgetfulness getting in the way of your thanksgiving this year? Because you're fixated on something else. Another thing that gets in the way is our rituals. Rituals get in the way. How could this be? Well, remember, the nine here can't go back to Jesus because they've got to go to the priest. They've got to go to the priest because that's what you do. And they've got to get that certificate. 
They've got to be cleared. They want to go about their lives. They can't be bothered with Jesus anymore. They got their gift. Thank you very much. Now we're good to go. Ritual. Now why would ritual get in the way? Because ritual is a lot easier. And this can afflict us whether we're church people or not church people. For church people, the ritual is, it's so easy to come to church. You may not think so, but it is. It's easy to show up. This requires nothing of you, really. Okay, set an alarm, wake up, get your church clothes on. But by and large, you can be pretty passive on a Lord's Day service. Unless you remember and unless you acknowledge that it's not about the ritual. Everything that we do is designed to engage our hearts and our minds in worship, to call to mind just how good the Lord has been to us so that we are led to praise him and to thank him. But how often do we attend a service and we go away and we're a grouch and we're not thankful? We're not thankful. Something wasn't the way we wanted it to be. Somebody said something that offended us. And so we forget all about God. Oh, we've done the ritual. We did the ritual, so we're good to go, right? No, the ritual just gets in the way if we don't see it for what it is. Now, for people who aren't churchgoers, their rituals may dif differ, but they're just as religious whether they realize it or not. They have their rituals. They have their mechanisms for what they believe they need to do to live a happy, healthy life. Maybe they feel like they need to sleep in on a Sunday morning. They've got activities they need to do to be a good parent, to be a good spouse. They're fixated on being a good employee or a good employer. They have rituals. They have rituals. They are religious. They have their habits, their patterns of behavior. And they look to those things to make them better. Just like these men go to the priest because that's going to make them better. Never mind Jesus is the one who saves them. And never mind that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hearts and our lives. But we let these rituals get in the way. Here's another thing that gets in the way. Worldly distractions. Worldly distractions. Jesus describes this very well in the parable of the sower. He says, the seed that the sower sows is the word of God. And he describes different kinds of soil that the seed can fall on. And one of those soils is in the thorns. He says in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. How often do the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this world get in the way of our thanksgiving? All the time. 
all the time. For these men, they want to live a normal life. They want to enjoy life. It's been a long time that they've been separated now. And they're ready to get back into society, to live a little. And while that can happen in its own good time, the difference with the one that goes back is that he goes immediately. He goes immediately. And if you are truly thankful, you will go immediately. You won't put it off. You won't let any worldly distraction get in the way. I'll be thankful later. I'll give thanks on Thursday, trust me. Don't worry. No. Are you thankful today? Then praise him today. Acknowledge who he is and what he's done for you today. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Don't let any worldly distraction lead you to forget. And then... Sometimes our fear of enthusiasm can get in the way. Our fear of enthusiasm can keep us from true thanksgiving. Notice that when the one goes back to Jesus, he praises God in a loud voice, verse 15. Praising God in a loud voice. We are okay with being labeled as religious, most of us, but not to an extreme. We don't want anybody to think we're too zealous or too enthusiastic or too loud, especially not in most Baptist churches. But keep it together. We're about formality. We want it to be proper. We want it to be ordered. And there's a place for that. God is a God of order, not of chaos, and we can take our enthusiasm to an extreme but when was the last time you praised God with a loud voice? That it was evident, this man, this woman is thankful. And, and if it gets a little loud, a little enthusiastic, that's okay. It's genuine. It's authentic. This isn't something worked up or concocted. It's real. And he can't contain it anymore. Jesus, you're the one who cleansed me. You and you alone. And while I'm thankful for the cleansing, I'm more thankful to you for who you are and what you've done. Don't let a fear of enthusiasm keep you from showing your gratitude. If you break down in tears as you give thanks, so be it. If it's genuine. If you get so choked up when you think of how good the Lord has been to a sinner a wretch like you, so be it. Let the tears flow. This man can't contain it. After all that God has done for him, he can't contain it. And look at what else he does. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Another thing that gets in the way is our pride. Because to truly be thankful, we have to be willing to drop down at Jesus' feet. And we have to be willing to say, there is no place I would rather be 
there's this humility before Jesus when we're really thankful. We can, we can give Jesus very cheap, superficial thanksgiving, of course. But to get down on his knees and to say, Jesus, I owe everything to you for all that you've done for me. But our pride keeps us from wanting to do that. We don't want to be obligated to anybody that way. No, thank you very much. We'll, we'll give honor to where honor is due, but to get down on our knees and say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Just prior to this, Jesus tells about the kind of service that we're to render to our master. And he uses the example of a, a servant and a master. In verse 7, he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We're not big on just doing our duty. We want a pat on the back from God, especially. But Jesus says that thinking is totally upside down. What master says to his servant when he comes in, all right, you sit down and relax. I'm going to make your dinner. No, he says, all right, you've done that work. Now prepare my supper. Then you may eat and drink. If you truly are willing to confess Jesus as master, as Lord of your life, this is your, your mindset. Of course, I'm going to do the next thing. I'm not going to wait for him to give me a pat on the back. I'm only an unworthy servant. I just want to do my duty. I owe everything to him. He's purchased my life with his own blood. He can ask me to do anything he chooses to ask me to do. That's his sovereign prerogative. And I will seek to be obedient. I will get down at Jesus' feet and I will say, Jesus, you're everything. I want to follow your commands. I want to live my life in obedience to you. Is that the posture of your heart today? Or you say, well, maybe if he does this one thing for me, if he can fix that, okay, fine, then I'll come. No, no, now he's already been good to you. He's already shown you mercy and kindness. Why delay? Talk to him. Give him your heart. And then notice how Luke holds this punchline to the end of verse 16. And he was a Samaritan. <laughs> the audience up until then, of, of course, this is good and right. Yes, this is right. Wait, he's a Samaritan and he's doing this? And this reveals yet another thing that can get in the way, and that is our old habits. Our old habits of being defined by the world and thinking we know what is possible and what is impossible. And what is being shown here is that 
God can bring even Samaritans to the feet of Jesus with thanksgiving. And if God can bring a Samaritan who has not enjoyed the benefits of the true religion and the true scriptures, if he can do that for him, what could he do for you? If you have known the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. He was a Samaritan, and Jesus brings this out. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? He gets it. Indeed, he does. And this is the amazing grace of God on full display. Is it amazing in your sight or not? Don't let your past, whatever you have done or haven't done, don't let your present, whatever you have done or are worried about doing, don't let those things get in the way of coming to Jesus now. You come just as you are. And trust that his grace will be sufficient for you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, his grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? Well, even as we can see each of these hindrances, these things that make true thanksgiving so rare, there is one thing that holds them all together. There is one thing that is the biggest hindrance to true thanksgiving. This is the reason the nine don't return. This is the reason people don't give thanks as they should. And it's this. We are ignorant about what we really need. We're ignorant about what we really need. We think what we need is to be more healthy, to be more happy, to be more fulfilled. We think we need to be cleansed. But what Jesus shows in verse 19 is that what we really need is to be saved from our sins. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Literally, it has saved you. This is saving faith. The others took Jesus as word when he said, go to the priests, and they're healed. But only one comes back. Only one realizes, I need Jesus. He's the only one who can give me what I need. Are you like him or not? Because our natural condition is that yes, we are sick, and yes, sin is like a sickness. It is a disease. It will spread. It will grow. It will kill. But those are symptoms. The fundamental problem is that we are rebels because ingratitude is our natural state. And it goes back to our ancestors, Adam and Eve, Never mind that God gave them everything they needed. Never mind that he was kind and generous to them. The fruit looked good, so they ate it. We are by nature ungrateful. And what we need is to be saved. And God in Christ has done the one thing we need. He sent his one and only son to show us what it looks like to live a life of thanksgiving and joyful obedience to the Father. 
He's sent him to the cross to die as our substitute to shed his blood in our place. To die in the place of rebels who have committed high treason against the king of heaven. And he's raised him to new life, eternal life. And he can give that life to you. That's what we need. So, can you raise the cup of salvation high today? Can you acknowledge, I, I'm thankful for the good gifts that he's given me, all my, my, my blessings. I want to I thank him for those things. But above all, what I need is to be saved from hell, from eternal death. And the only thing that can do that is the blood of Jesus. And I'm not going to get over that. I'm not going to let anyone let me be quiet or force me to be quiet about that. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to praise God with a loud voice. I'm going to fall down at the knees of Jesus. And I'm going to thank him. Whether I'm a Samaritan or any other sinner, his grace is free and sufficient for all. Will you come? Will you thank him? Because this same Jesus will return one day, and when he returns, I don't want him to say, where's Dane? Didn't, didn't I do something good for him? Didn't I cleanse him? Where is he? He, he hasn't come to give thanks. You substitute your own name. Where are you? Where are they? Was he not kind to you? Was he not good enough to you? Did he do you wrong? Of course not. So come to him and be thankful and praise him as he deserves to be praised. May it not be said of you or of me that we didn't come back to the source of our salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need continual reminders to be thankful. And Lord, today we don't just want to be thankful for things. We want to be thankful to you. We want to see you as you are, as our Savior, as the God who has been so patient and so merciful, and so loving to unworthy people like us. And Lord, I pray for anyone today who has yet to come to Jesus, to fall at his knees, to praise him. I pray that this would be the day of salvation. As we all lift high the cup of salvation, as we call upon your holy name, as we seek to fulfill our vows among your people. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be thankful into eternity as we look forward to praising you into eternity. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.